Hello, P1s. I am Trey Mitchell, and I want to welcome you to a special edition of the Bad Radio Podcast. On our first ever Bad Radio Podcast special, we have Jake doing his Mavs 2011 playoff run retrospective. We'll do one for each round of the Mavs NBA 2011 playoff run. This week, we will focus on round one with the Portland Trailblazers. Bad Radio goes through games one through six and tells you about how no one believed in our little Mavericks. So this is a project that I wanted to grab. I know that Bob and uh, and Corby are doing sort of a, a game of the day. They've gone through some some classic uh, football games and college basketball games. And Norman Donovan and Sroy are doing the fight of the day. Man, I go back and watch every game from the 2011 finals, which I don't know that I've ever really done every single game in order. And as you said the other day, it's the highlight of my sports life. I think it's one of, if not the most underrated American team sports stories of the last few decades. And our buddy Grant Boone pointed out on Twitter, the Raptors last year was kind of similar because nobody expected them to win. They took down a giant. They only really had one star. Kind of an also-ran franchise, at least the way people historically think of them, even though the Mavericks had been good for 10 years when they won the title. Still, you have to add in the Mavericks' failure in 06. Yeah, and the Raptors added a ringer. Right. Whereas who the, wasn't really from the, you know. He might ours, have been one star, but Ours still. featured what might end up being our greatest sports hero ever. Right. So to me, this is on another level, and I think the reason that it doesn't get talked about quite enough is because it's Dallas, is because they only won it once, and the way that things went afterward. Maybe the best argument for if they had kept the title team together, even though I don't think they would have had a prayer to win another title, had they at least been more competitive in the three following years, maybe we would remember it differently. Because, and going back and watching this uh, first two games of the Dallas-Portland series from 2011, the thing that struck me first was how hard the broadcast is beating the viewer over the head with how many people think Dallas has no shot here. <laughs> and in fact, I went and looked up the odds uh, for the Mavericks in this uh, postseason, entering the postseason. They had the sixth best odds at 12-1. to 1. They were behind the Lakers, the Heat, the Celtics, the Spurs, and the Bulls. And I found a number of articles basically writing Dallas's chance off and uh, to advance off and saying, if somebody's getting upset in the first round, it's going to be Dallas. I'm surprised they had the six best odds, even though they were the three seed in the West, so that math works, right? It just didn't feel like anybody really thought this team had a chance. Yeah, six best is still not great, right? I mean, but they won 57 games. They were uh, right there tied with L.A. for wins. Uh, just a couple wins. Um Behind the Spurs, you know, four wins for the one seed. It wasn't like there was this huge discrepancy between San Antonio and Dallas. And so I think Bob said the other day that he, he if he could rename his book, uh, this year is different, he would have named it Portland in six because of how many people had Portland winning this series in six. And I think when you think back on this series, round one, everyone thinks of game four and the calamitous collapse uh, to tie it back up at two games after Dallas was up to, they go up to Portland. Dallas blows like a 18-19 point lead in the fourth quarter. Brandon Roy hits a shot. 
and uh, the series is tied 2-2 coming back to Dallas. What I had forgotten in going back and watching these first two games, they easily could have lost either one of these games. I mean, they were down. Dirk was awful early in the first game, so we'll go through that. Uh, But first, I just wanted to play you a sampling of how the broadcast handled the Mavericks' chances uh, as the series was starting. And I don't know if I'm pulled up here or not mine, but let's try it. Mini 2, I think. No dice? You had the wrong mm-hmm. plug-in. I don't even know what that is. Here, plug Probably that. Mini 1, I would guess. No, Mini 1 is over here. So you have, what that is. you have Dave Pash and Doris Burke on the call. Let's see what we got here. Dallas 57 wins, tied with the Lakers for the fourth best record in the NBA, but they've been ousted in the first round of the playoffs three of the last four years. So, Mike, a road team wins there, and a lot of people picking the road team tonight and in this series. The Portland Trailblazers were tied at two early on here in Dallas. The Mavericks have been ousted in the first round three of the last four years, including a year ago as the two seed. They're the three seed this year. The Blazers the six seed in the West. There's so many questions about a 57-win team. I don't think you can question this guy. He has been. So they're showing Dirk here, but we're in the first three, four minutes of the game. And they're hammering they were, you with... They were beaten as a two-seed the year before? Uh, he indicated. He said last year... Yeah, by the Spurs. Yeah, that was the Spurs year. In the first round? Yes. Uh, because, okay, so now you've got a team that has lost... They've been ousted as a one-seed also before that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the history of this team is not... And I guess that all goes to Dirk. Whatever your team has done generally funnels down to your best player is he's the reason for all of it. Right, and they're not letting you forget about it either. And Doris kind of comes off a little bit like a somewhat of a Mavs homer here. Um, That's why you've always liked Doris. I know, right? But they're, they're talking about Dirk, and we're very much still in the Dirk is soft and can't do this era. There's so many questions about a 57-win team. I don't think you can question this guy. He has been one of the most extraordinarily gifted scorers this league has had over the last 10 years. So, so many questions. You know, are they tough enough? Do they have a consistent enough second score with Jason Terry not being as consistent as he has been in the past? You know, this is a team built more on balance. You might have to have multiple guys get around eight, nine points for them to have success. You wonder what their disposition is to start this playoff series. A lot of people picking the Blazers. This is all in the first five or six minutes of the game. All they're talking about is I wonder if the Mavericks even want it. All the questions, I yeah. look at how bad they've been. They lost as a one seed. They lost as a two seed. Then they lose. All the, the entire broadcast pick- is about, boy, you know, is this even really kind of, is this worth playing this game? The but Mavericks it's almost are like soft. every championship team had to have kind of two guys. And sure. You would never think of Jason Terry as being able to be the second best player on a championship team. No. But so Doris is right. You've got to be balanced. You've got to have a really... Your fifth best player has to be better than their fifth best by right. a good amount since your second best will never be... You know, LeBron and and Dwayne Wade, you don't have a 1-2 to match up with that. So that's another... I mean, that's obviously why they were a team that was doubted. But again, they did win 57 games. They won 57 games despite Dirk missing 11 games, I believe, that year. And they went 2-9 and nine in those games. Uh, really? They, they lose Karan Butler earlier that year. Yeah. So um, we go to the game now, and like I said, this is all anybody's talking about at the beginning of the game is, boy, they just 
is as time passed this team by and everyone's doubting them. Dave Pash has a lot of people are picking the Blazers. Um and their window closed. Right. They don't yeah. and again, they don't have the uh the second the second score. This was a Saturday night game at the AAC and it was electric in there. And it really was cool to watch this because you haven't seen it like this too many times since then, but the late tip on a Saturday night for a Mavs playoff game it looked really, really cool on television. The Mavericks didn't necessarily get out of the gates hot. LaMarcus Aldridge, that's a cool thing about going back and doing this is remembering players kind of at their peak. Lamar- LaMarcus Aldridge was going to absolute work on Dallas. They did not, ha- Tyson could not hold him early in this game. Uh, and Dirk did not start out well. Uh, he actually, through three quarters, had 10 points and was 5 of 16 from the floor. So I look at this game and I look at the final and I'm like, oh, okay, Dallas handled that one. Um, you know, it's, it ended up winning by eight points. You think, okay, that was an easy win at home for Dallas. They were down six with five minutes left to play in this game. Really? And, and Dirk again entered the fourth quarter with just ten points. They were completely carried by Jason Kidd. Who somehow, some way found his three point shot in this game? Jason Kidd had 24 points in this game on six of 10 from three. Because if you remember, Rick Carlisle and the Mavericks uh, training staff had actually given Kidd a week before the end of the year off and experimented with some different starting lineups. That's when you saw Roddy B playing a little bit more. They let Kidd skip two games and skip uh, about five or six days of work. Like a load management thing? And it seemed to have worked because. They talked to Kid at half, and he's like, "Hey, my body feels great right now. I've got my legs." Did you say Terry nailed those threes or Kid? Kid, excuse me, Kid. Yeah, no, I I don't remember. Kid went Uh, six of ten, and I believe actually started the game uh, something like five of six or five of seven. Every time they needed a big shot, it was Jason Kid that was there. What What did Dirk finish with? We'll get to that in the next segment, but I'll tell you this: he entered the fourth quarter with ten points, and Dirk made one three in this game, the only one he took. We'll we'll, uh, finish this one out next. All right, Bad Radio here with Jake and Dan, and we are in the middle of a brand new bit. You are tuned in to day one of looking at the Mavs playoff run, the most magical run in 2011. What's weird to me as I was thinking about this during the break is as the Portland series started, I wish we would have known what was coming because I think we all had feelings like the audio you were playing. Like, yeah, they've been okay. They were two seed last year. They got bounced. They've been a one seed. and got bounced. You know, it just seemed like I, I, I do have better memories of uh, LA, especially after they swept them. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you know, you started paying attention more later but in this Portland series, I don't really have a lot of memory of this Portland series because we weren't like, oh, we got to remember this magical Portland series. That's why I think I'll have the most fun watching this series of all four because I really, I'm, I'm totally with you. I don't, I just remember in Game Four thinking they blew it. Now it's tied. They're screwed. This is same old Mavericks. But if you listen to Doris and you listen to Dave Pash and the National Crew and Couple that with your thoughts from back then. Everyone kind of thought they were screwed right out of the gate, despite winning 57 games and going two and nine over a 11 game stretch when Dirk was out. Let's the say, West was so tough, you know. It was, but let's say Dirk plays seven of those games. Are they a 60 win team? 
I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, that's easy to figure, to imagine. Yeah. Right, and then so the fact that they're you know that they're that team, and it it was back and forth in this game. One thing you might not remember because uh, it was only the second year of his career and his first year in uh, in Portland. Do you recall who was starting at one of the? I guess you'd call it a two guard spots for Portland. Go on, Wesley Matthews. Oh, really? Started future Mav. Yeah, and. Um, Future overpaid Mav. He picked up a couple early fouls in this game, playing a little bit too aggressive of defense. Um, of course, there's the fact that Brandon Roy, who you know was an MVP, or not MVP, but a Rookie of the Year just a few years before, all-star caliber player. His first 20 games that year, he was averaging like 18 and 9. And then his knees flared up again. He comes back from 24 for 24 games for Portland, and his average scoring per game dipped from 18 to 8. And he came off the bench. And in this game, gave them really absolutely nothing. Two points in 26 minutes. And again, speaking of giving you nothing, in the first three quarters of this game, Dirk was atrocious. Um, and I think that's kind of cool that the run started this way and then kind of ended that way too, right? That at the end, that Dirk, he came through at the very end, but in game six was the game that he was pretty poor, right? Uh, out of the gate, if I remember that correctly. Anybody else wants to jump in, you can. Like in game six of the Miami series, the final game of the run, uh, he had to be kind of lifted up through part of that game. Yeah. And this one started the same way. Dirk had uh, 10 points through three quarters. Nothing was falling. They were harassing the hell out of him uh, between Marcus Camby and LaMarcus Aldridge. And then even, you know, Nicholas Batum off the bench. Dirk was getting frustrated. He got So it wasn't this just that he was keeping something in the tank? No, he for was go time. It did not feel that way. Because he was losing his cool. He was getting onto officials. He wasn't really getting any calls. Um it, it they were doubling him hard. Even sometimes before he got the ball, if he would pop on a pick, they would double the pop. And that would leave a wide open lane for JJ Berea, but didn't always convert, but they were not going to let Dirk beat them like that. And they were hacking him. He was getting, like I said, he was getting frustrated with the officials. It just didn't look right. Because he wasn't, he wasn't even right. getting his shots. It wasn't like a, you know, all of his shots were off balanced and looking weird. Even so much that they said something on the broadcast that he looked unathletic. Um, but acrobatic. Unathletic, but or was was it, it, that's the athletic, but acrobatic was the way they tried to couch right. their lunch pail. Dirk was 5 of 16 with 10 points heading into the fourth quarter. And another thing that I forgot about this game, dude, they, the Mavericks were down six points right under the six-minute mark of this game. They were in a hole. The Mavericks went almost 10 minutes without making an actual field goal. They were living at the line. Dirk took 1-3 in this game. And it put Dallas up 75-74 with 3.35 left to play. He took one three in this game, Dan, and made it. A corner three. Hard to believe. It's like it wasn't 30 years ago. <clears throat> they want to play out, yeah. It was nine years ago, and Dirk took one three. And it was wait- he waited until 3.20 left in the fourth quarter. Dallas had 11 straight misses from the field at one point. Bet he had a lot of fadeaways on that one foot. He did, but most of those weren't falling either. That became iconic during the, this playoff run. So the way that Dirk got them back into this game was he had 18 points in the fourth quarter. Wow. 13 of 13 at the line. Including 12 straight. Right. 
So he had, uh, I believe, all fourteen, all of his free throws were in the fourth quarter. Zero in quarters one, two, and three. Thirteen in the fourth quarter. And that's how they buried the Pacers. And that's also why Nate McMillan, head coach of the Blazers, was fined $35,000 in between game one and two. Why? Comments he made that said, uh, let's see here. Yeah, I'm surprised because I didn't feel I directed it at the officials. Uh, his initial comments were... The refs um, suck. Yeah, I think it was something like that the refs were trying to bait him and that uh, you know, it was a, that it was an unfair game, and he said, I did, "I'm surprised with this fine. I didn't feel I directed it at the officials." But the point is, uh, Dallas very nearly lost this game. So as much as we get mad about, boy, Dwayne Wade lived at the line in that 06 series, and look at this discrepancy in free throws. I mean, this game was very close midway through the fourth quarter, and then Dirk got all 13 of his free throws in like a seven minute stretch. It accounted for almost half of his scoring in the game overall. One three and one other field goal. That's it. It was insane, man. Like the fact that that's how it went down. And uh, there's a moment that I think is really underrated in the history of this playoff run because, like I said, Jake Kidd was great in this game. Uh, he ended up for his part with uh, with I think 18 points in the game, but was uh, no, what was it? 24 in the game, but was just on fire from three, which you know. It's weird for anybody that watched his whole career that he turned into a guy that could swing a playoff series by going 6 of 10 from 3. Probably my favorite play of the entire game. Dallas is up 4 with about a minute and a half left to play after uh, Portland has uh, knocks the ball out of bounds. It does not get reviewed. It could have been because it was within the last 2 minutes. Dallas gets the ball back. Dirk misses a one-legged fadeaway from the elbow with the shot clock uh, shot clock expiring. It's 82-78, and it's the first time in this game that I remember thinking, I want some sort of a statue of the Tyson Chandler tap back. Because how many times during this run did Tyson Chandler save their bacon with a tap back? Not even just a traditional offensive rebound, but Dirk misses, and Chandler just comes out of nowhere swats the ball back right into Kid's hands beyond the th- a three-point line. Kid kills a little bit of time, squares up, buries another, and now it's 85-78 with 25 seconds left. And the building on a Saturday night at the AAC just goes berserk. And it was the first time in the game that Cuban let any sort of jubilation out. Up to that point, he's biting his nails, and he looks like he's thinking, oh no, not again. We cannot lose a Saturday night home game against this team that everyone has already picked to beat us. And that stretch, which put them up seven with 25 to play, that was that was the dagger, especially in that era. Nobody's coming back from that whenever, as Blake pointed out, both teams had guys who couldn't shoot, two, three guys who couldn't shoot on, on the floor at certain stretches, which is unheard of today. What was the Mavs lineup? Like their crunch time lineup. Uh, crunch time. It was it was pretty much the starters plus Terry. So you would just go with instead of D Steve, you would have Terry. So Dirk, Marion, Kid, Chandler, Terry. Uh, Deshaun Stevenson played eighteen minutes because Jason game. Terry was six man. Yeah, but he wasn't good in this game really either. He only had ten points on two of five shooting. Was essentially a non factor. Uh, it was really all about Jason Kid hitting threes, and then Dirk somehow miraculously getting all 13 of his free throw attempts in the fourth quarter. 
Um, a little bit more uh, audio from uh, from the game for you. Um, this is at the end of the game here. Let's see when they're showing the graphic on all the Mavericks uh, playoff exits. 2006. Miami Heat down 0-2 to Dallas, but they end up coming back to beat the Mavs, who then the next year, despite 67 wins, lose in the first round. As the one seed, they lose in 08 in the first round. In 09, they win a first-round series before losing in the conference semis to Denver. Then last year, as a two seed, they fall to the Spurs, and you have to wonder, they had a double-digit lead. They are without a field goal now in almost 11 minutes. Is the pressure getting to Dallas? You could certainly make the case that there's probably more pressure on this 57-win team in the first round than any other series in the NBA. I mean, think about that, dude. Yeah, you got to remember where your mind was. They went 11 minutes without converting a field goal. Yeah. In a game that they had led and blown the lead. Those are fair home. sports comments to make. 100% fair. If you're looking at the history of that team but and I had, what they have done, I, I, for, I didn't even realize they hadn't even been to the Western Conference Finals. Right, yeah, right. Since since, uh, since 06, yeah. Since but, they got to the title. so And they were a team that should have been. But just considering the fact that the game starts and all you're talking about is the Mavericks can't close the deal, they're soft, they don't want it, will this year be different? Then they blow a 10-point lead, get down six, don't convert a field goal for 11 minutes of game time from the end of the third through midway for the through the fourth. I think this game is underrated. Because if they go down, they even had the graphic on the broadcast. I don't know how it's changed since 2011. At that point, game one, 80% goes on to close out the series if you get that one. And it looked bad offensively, but def- defensively it was the same. They were getting eaten up in the paint. And if you remember two of those playoff series that we lost to the Hornets and the Nuggets, it seemed like all they did were alley-oops. And that's yeah. what was happening in, in the first two games. Aldridge and Canby were killing them in the paint. I think there were six LaMarcus Aldridge alley-oops in game one alone. It did not look like they had an answer for that. Uh, but so after that huge uh, Chandler tap back and the kid three, they closed that one out. I'm looking at the box score. And you were just talking about these this huge Chandler tap back and whatnot. That was half his points all game. is isn't like he was filling it up. No, at least that, that particular game. Yeah, yeah. On he that, had four points that game. On that play, though, I was t- I'm was i talking about um, him tapping it back to Kidd for the three. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought clear. you said like a tap in. I'm sorry. Like, like he, I'm sorry. It, rather than just corralling the offensive rebound, he would pull this move that almost Do you get a rebound like his for that? signature. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he would just swipe the heck out of the ball back to a guard. Okay. And the Mavericks had guards who could typically, typically catch and go, which is better than a Dwight Howard-style rebound where you bring it down – Dribble forever, maybe they, go back up. How did they win this game? I'm looking at the box it's, score right it, now. Just looking at a remarkable. box score. They only had three guys score 10 points. Right. And Jason thir- uh, Terry was third with 10. And Dirk got 18 of his 28 in the fourth quarter. You remember the high flying Sean Marion? He had six. Yeah. Tyson Chandler had four. How did they win this game? Somehow. Foul trouble. Dirk broke the jam. Uh, broke the dam on the because Portland got into the bonus like five minutes, four minutes left. They were over the limit uh, in the fourth quarter, and Dirk just started going to the line and calmly hitting the last. No five one had six, five assists. The last five or six minutes of this game <laughs> took like thirty-five minutes. Yeah, it was excruciating on television because every possession was just. Berea did nothing. Berea was throw? a minus nine. Now we're two closer. Dirk yeah. free throws. Now we're two closer. It just kept going. 
And that's a theme for the entire playoff run. There were nights where they shot it a little bit better, but yes, this was. And then uh, you go on to game two after they closed that one out, 89-81, and I saw this uh, this statistic, I think it was at the start of game two, in what they dubbed the Dirk era, which I'm going to assume is just since he put on a, a Mavs uniform. Uh-huh. Before game one, Dallas was 2-22 and in games where they scored less than 90 points. And the the game that ultimately kicked off their title run was only the third time in Dirk's career, ten years, eleven years that they had scored, that they had won a game with uh, with fewer than ninety points scored. Well, that's why they called him Irk. <laughs> you go to the start of game no two D. here, and I thought I think you would find this funny, Dan. Uh, Kevin McHale is on this call, and again, three seed, six seed, fifty-seven wins, team that's had a ton of uh, regular season success and appeared in the postseason. Uh, over the last few years, and this is how they start uh, game two. And they trust Tyson, they trust Tyson Chandler to guard Mark Spencer. So it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really interesting series. It'll be a long series, and it's going to, these are two really equally matched teams. Two equally matched teams. <laughs> like, even after game one, they had so little respect from the national coverage and probably earned that lack of respect, but. You know, game two was uh, was a much more up and down game. Uh, Dallas ended up with one hundred and one in that one, but that game actually took a pretty Herculean effort in the fourth quarter as well. It's just that they kind of ran away with it, and that one was over. Um, you know, they were up significantly, uh, about ten points midway through the fourth, and I think the closest the Blazers ever got it was six. So that game was was not quite as as nut cutting time. Uh, but it did have another huge fourth quarter from Dirk, because I believe he had, uh, uh, I want to say, 14 of his 33 in the fourth quarter, but a much better night overall for the Mavs offense in that one as Peja came in with 21 in game two. J-Kid, uh, again, had 18, uh, went three of six from three, and Dirk had 33 and did not wait until the very end to score all of his points, but but did have 14 of his 33 and so then they had to Portland like, up 2-0. But I'm just trying to reiterate to you how close it was that this run that was being framed as, boy, they're probably not up for it. This is the end of the road. They very nearly stumbled out of the gates in this improbable run with a loss at home to Portland when they were down six midway through the fourth quarter and went 10 minutes without hitting a shot. People forget is my point. Who was their second best player, would you say, overall? Uh, you know, I probably would be hesitant to to name anybody, right? I would say the second best was everybody who wasn't Dirk. It was different from night to night. Kid, you know? Chandler, Marion, Terry, and Jason Terry. Yeah, but in game two, it was Peja. In game two, it was definitely Peja, and Peja didn't have much of anything in game one. Uh, he went two of seven in nineteen minutes in game one, and then bounced back in game two. But everybody played a part, right? We'll all remember. We'll get to it later. More important roles for. Brian Cardinal or Corey Brewer actually had at least a minute, yeah, right. So where they, where they did something, but in game one, it was Jason Kidd hitting threes, and at least to hear them say it, he was ready to hit those threes because he had had the time off before the postseason. So that's a coaching thing, right? That's rest an organizational, yeah, um, you know, decision from the training staff. So. Really, really fun to go back and watch these because we all remember the Mother's Day massacre and everybody remembers every minute of the finals, but I had forgotten how <laughs> how close to the margins they were living even in game one and how unlikely everybody talking about it thought it was that they would pull this out.
So that one was uh, game two, April 19th. So the next few days, we're going through the rest of this series. Ends yeah. up being a six-game series. We'll head up to Portland Spoiler with the, alert. Uh, the disaster of game four on the deck. So this is a, uh, something we're going to do to cheer us up and to pass the sports time. Um, I don't know about you, but I was flipping around last night after that WFA 10 o'clock broadcast that I was telling you about where Chris Lawrence is at home and Izzy is in studio and I flipped it over first to ESPN out of habit. Are you still doing that bit at all? <laughs> oh, a little NBA? What are we? You know what? No. I'll be because, programmed. Um, generally, I'll do that in my office where we are right now, actually. And I, you know, turn on the TV to watch sports. But I just haven't been doing that. So I don't know I what it, what is ESPN doing in the evening when they do SportsCenter. Well, this was SVP. And for yeah, some reason, I watched that a lot. Yeah, for just, some for some reason, as he flipped it over there, and he's got Mel Kiper talking about Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Um, I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't care. You know what I mean? I I don't care, and it makes me think of now. I want to think of before, and particularly right now when it comes to sports. I'm thinking about the summer. I'm thinking about April, May, June of 2011. So as we left off yesterday. We're going through this entire Mavericks run, and I think just because it was the first round, because it was the Blazers, because the Mavericks were a three seed, I don't think we all remember the Blazers series as the moment in time that, that I'm now discovering, rediscovering that it was. Because as we talked about yesterday, one, despite the fact that the Mavericks won 57 games, they're a three seed, um, the entire talk on the broadcast is, boy, all the first-round exits, all the failure, all the playoff disappointment. Um, you know, the Mavericks are the team that if you're going to pick an upset in the postseason, that's the team you're picking. And let's just put that picture in the frame when it comes to the NBA. How many times in recent memory has there been a team that won it that beforehand you would have said, this is the most likely upset? Like, they're bucking a trend. Even Toronto had Kawhi. You know, and they were generally thought of maybe not as a, a team that was going to win the title, but they were pretty good. The Mavericks were the team that everyone who wanted to pick an upset said it would be them. The Blazers uh, were saying they wanted Dallas. And in fact, in game two, as we went through yesterday, Dallas blew a 10-point lead late and was down six um, with five and a half minutes left to play at home. In game two with a 1-0 series lead. So, so somebody, they very easily could have lost game two. Speaking of that, somebody emailed me. Maybe you're on this, too. He says, um, I haven't heard you mention it, but the Trailblazers could have won their last game to move up one seed, but they intentionally lost because they looked forward to playing the Mavs. So I don't believe that that's true because Portland finished with 48 wins at the 6th seed and Denver finished at the 5th seed with 50 wins, and they both concluded their regular season on the same night. Now, Portland did rest all their starters in their 82nd game, but it wouldn't have mattered because okay. they could only get to 49. But that doesn't change the fact that whenever we start Game 3, I believe it is here, um... This is the way the uh, the broadcasters are framing the the way the Blazers are looking at this. Again, a team that they're down 0-2, headed back to Portland again. A week ago, the Portland Trail Blazers had the playoff matchup they wanted. The Dallas Mavericks now trailing 0-2 in the series. The Blazers return home 
probably in need of two wins in the next 42 hours to have a chance to stay alive. Obviously, the upshot there is that it was so well known that the broadcast is mentioning, hey, this is who the Blazers wanted. They wanted Dallas because Dallas goes out in the first round. So you didn't want Dallas. the Lakers. Were the Lakers defending champs at that time? Uh, I believe so. Well, anyway. Yeah. Um, and you had they didn't yeah, want they won in 2010. Yeah, yeah. LeBron MVP. So they didn't want Lakers, Oklahoma City, upstart. Yeah, the, we knew what the Mavs were. Right, they're a team that if you can, they're a team. They're a nice regular season team. If you can get them on the ropes, you'll knock them out in the postseason. Yeah. And so Portland uh, comes into the series thinking that uh, they get up on Dallas, like I said, late in Game Two. Dallas goes ten minutes without converting a shot from the field in the third and fourth quarter in Game Two. But Dirk goes to the line thirteen times, all thirteen of his free throws in Game Two in the fourth quarter, and Dallas is able to get a win headed to uh, to Portland for Game 3. So at this point, uh, Brandon Roy, who uh, was a rookie of the year for Portland, uh, he had already had some issues with his knees beforehand. He started the first 20, 24 uh, games of the season and averaged 18, 19 points a game and uh, came back a couple months later, came off the bench for the last 20 or so games of the season for the Blazers. He's only like his fifth or sixth year at this point, but his knees have been a problem for him. He gave them nothing in game one and game two. Absolutely nothing. Uh, fast forward to game three, and it's a the Portland crowd is going nuts. It was definitely a playoff. Uh, you know, those Portland crowds have always been pretty good. Um, Wes Matthews, who was in his second year in the league at the time, familiar now to Mavericks fans, uh, goes off for 16 in the first quarter on four or five threes. Do you remember that at all? Not a bit. That in a Mavericks playoff game, during the run, Wes Matthews had a 16-point quarter. No, I, I said this yesterday. I barely remember this series, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Because it wasn't like a, I got to remember. I'm not sure when it clicked that, boy, this uh, I'm doing something here. But back then, you also have to remember where your bar is in your mind. Back then, it was... Um, the Mavs won 50 games every year. Right. Like, it was nothing. Like, 55, 57, you know, it didn't matter at all. Cause, so we would barely pay attention to the first-round playoffs. I would I would guess we didn't, like, make sure we have to do something the next day on this. Right. Like, like we would now. Like, we're starved for the playoffs now. The Stars used to be like that, too. Like, in the late 90s, like, you know, or early 2000s. Okay, they're just going to play Edmonton in the first round. But I'll kind of pay attention. But uh, you don't get excited yet, so we weren't excited yet. And I think there's also a level, of a-, a level of apathy where you're yeah. kind of like, yeah, we'll get, we'll, show me when you get to the Western Conference Finals and we'll talk. Yeah. Right? And now that you're like, okay, so if you beat Portland, it doesn't matter. If you lose, it's just more of the same. I'll bet Cowboys fans used to not really be that into the first-round playoff game. You know, think of, it's hard to imagine that, but, yeah, if you were going to the NFC Championship every year, you're not going to be as excited as you are once you play San Francisco. And one reason the Mavericks had such uh, poor levels of, uh, you know, no success, I guess, on the road uh, in that stretch from the finals that they lost to this championship run, uh, they detail it here as they're about to tip in Portland for Game 3. Well, Matt, Dallas had the best road record in the NBA this year, but as Rick Carlisle told me earlier this week, that doesn't guarantee you anything in the playoffs. The Mavs have lost four straight on the road in the playoffs. 
And if you go back to 2006, they've lost 17 of their last 19 road playoff games. Jason Kidd told me. Okay, it doesn't matter what Kidd told him. The point is they lost 17 of 19 road playoff games and were always pretty high. And in this year, highest on the list of road winning percentage, and they would just wilt. That's incredible. On the road in the playoffs. 17 of 19 as they head into this first road game of this uh, journey uh, in Portland. Like I said, at the beginning of the game, it's back and forth. Game three's not really memorable at all. Uh, game four is the much more memorable game of this series. But uh, it was tight, late. Uh, Dirk had 25 in this tight. one. Uh, Jake, uh, Jason Terry had 29, kind of his first game coming alive in the series. Jason Kidd shot it super well in the first two games. Uh, and kind of actually buoyed Dallas into a 2-0 series uh, lead. He fell back down to earth, averaging eight a game uh, on the season, had eight in game three. Uh, and the Mavericks end up losing this game 97-92 as the Blazers pull away late. Brandon Roy, the aforementioned uh, you know Blazers star who was coming off the bench in this game, started to cook a little bit here. After giving him, I think, an average of three points a game in the first two games, Brandon Roy had 16 in this one on just 10 shots, and it started to look like, okay, that's the that's the key to the Blazers, not just being an also-ran team. Be trouble. They have another guy who can actually fill it up. So Dallas goes into game four, down 2-1, uh, and then they race out to a huge, huge lead in game four, and they are ready to bring this thing back to Dallas, or were they? Next. This one, despite the fact that the Mavericks won 57 games, they're a three seed. Um, the entire talk on the broadcast is, boy, all the first round exits, all the failure, all the playoff disappointment. Um, you know, the Mavericks are the team that if you're going to pick an upset in the postseason, that's the team you're picking. And let's just put that picture in the frame when it comes to the NBA. How many times in recent memory has there been a team? that won it, that beforehand you would have said, this is the most likely upset. Like, they're bucking a trend. Even Toronto had Kawhi, you know, and they were generally thought of maybe not as a a team that was going to win the title, but they were pretty good. The Mavericks were the team that everyone who wanted to pick an upset said it would be them. The Blazers uh, were saying they wanted Dallas. And, in fact, in Game 2, as we went through yesterday, Dallas blew a 10-point lead late and was down 6 um, with five and a half minutes left to play at home in game two with a 1-0 series lead. So, so somebody, they very easily could have lost game two. Speaking of that, somebody emailed me. Maybe you're on this, too. He says, um, I haven't heard you mention it, but the Trailblazers could have won their last game to move up one seed, but they intentionally lost because they looked forward to playing the Mavs. So I don't believe that that's true because Portland finished with 48 wins at the 6th seed and Denver finished at the 5th seed with 50 wins, and they both concluded their regular season on the same night. Now, Portland did rest all their starters in their 82nd game, but it wouldn't have mattered because they could only get to 49. But that doesn't change the fact that whenever we start Game 3, I believe it is here... um, this is the way the uh, the broadcasters are framing the the way the Blazers are looking at this. Again, a team that they're down 0-2, headed back to Portland again. A week ago, the Portland Trail Blazers had the playoff matchup they wanted, the Dallas Mavericks, now trailing 0-2 in the series. The Blazers return home 
probably in need of two wins in the next 42 hours to have a chance to stay alive. Obviously, the upshot there is that it was so well known that the broadcast is mentioning, hey, this is who the Blazers wanted. They wanted Dallas because Dallas goes out in the first round. So you didn't want Dallas. the Lakers. Were the Lakers defending champs at that time? Uh, I believe so. Well, anyway. Yeah. Um, and you had they didn't yeah, want they won in 2010. Yeah, yeah. LeBron and so they didn't want Lakers, Oklahoma City upstart. Yeah, the, we knew what the Mavs were. Right, they're a team that if you can, they're a team. They're a nice regular season team. If you can get them on the ropes, you'll knock them out in the postseason. Yeah. And so Portland uh, comes into the series thinking that uh, they get up on Dallas. Like I said, late in Game Two, Dallas goes ten minutes without converting a shot from the field in the third and fourth quarter in game two but Dirk goes to the line 13 times all 13 of his free throws in game two in the fourth quarter and Dallas is able to get a win headed to uh to Portland for game three so at this point uh Brandon Roy who uh was a rookie of the year for Portland uh he had already had some issues with his knees beforehand he started the first 20, 24 uh, games of the season and averaged 18, 19 points a game and uh, came back a couple months later, came off the bench for the last 20 or so games of the season for the Blazers. He's only like his fifth or sixth year at this point, but his knees have been a problem for him. He gave them nothing in game one and game two, absolutely nothing. Uh, fast forward to game three, and... It's a the Portland crowd is going nuts. It was definitely a playoff. Uh, you know those Portland crowds have always been pretty good. Um, Wes Matthews, who was in his second year in the league at the time, familiar now to Mavericks fans, uh, goes off for 16 in the first quarter on four or five threes. Do you remember that at all? Not a bit. That in a Mavericks playoff game during the run, Wes Matthews had a 16 point quarter. No, I, I said this yesterday. I barely remember this series to tell you the truth. Yeah, because it wasn't like a. I got to remember. I'm not sure when it clicked that, boy, this uh, I'm doing something here. But back then, you also have to remember where your bar is in your mind. Back then, it was um, the Mavs won 50 games every year. Right, like it was nothing, like 55, 57. You know, it didn't matter at all. Because so we would barely pay attention to the first round playoffs. I would I would guess we didn't like make sure we have to do something the next day on this, right? Like, like we would now. Like we're starved for the playoffs now. The stars used to be like that too. Like in the late nineties, I you know, or early two thousands. Okay, they're just going to play Edmonton in the first round. But I'll kind of pay attention. But uh, you don't get excited yet. So we weren't excited yet. And I think there's also a level, of a, a level of apathy where you're yeah. kind of like, yeah, we'll get, we'll, show me when you get to the Western Conference Finals and we'll talk. Yeah. Right? And now that you're like, okay, so if you beat Portland, it doesn't matter. If you lose, it's just more of the same. I'll bet Cowboys fans used to not really be that into the first-round playoff game. You know, think of, it's hard to imagine that. But, yeah, if you were going to the NFC Championship every year, you're not going to be as excited as you are once you play San Francisco. And one reason the Mavericks had such uh, poor levels of, uh, you know, no success, I guess, on the road uh, in that stretch from the finals that they lost to this championship run 
Uh, they detail it here as they're about to tip in Portland for Game 3. Well, Matt, Dallas had the best road record in the NBA this year, but as Rick Carlisle told me earlier this week, that doesn't guarantee you anything in the playoffs. The Mavs have lost four straight on the road in the playoffs, and if you go back to 2006, they've lost 17 of their last 19 road playoff games. Jason Kidd told me... Okay, it doesn't matter what Kidd told him. The point is... They lost 17 of 19 road playoff games and were always pretty high. And in this year, highest on the list of road winning percentage. And they would just wilt. That's incredible. On the road in the playoffs. 17 of 19 as they head into this first road game of this uh, journey. Uh, in Portland. Like I said, at the beginning of the game, it's back and forth. Game three's not really memorable at all. Uh, game four is the much more memorable game of this series, but uh, it was tight, late. Uh, Dirk had 25 in this tight. one. Uh, Jake, uh, Jason Terry had 29, kind of his first game coming alive in the series. Jason Kidd shot it super well in the first two games uh, and kind of actually buoyed Dallas into a 2 0 series uh, lead. He fell back down to earth, averaging eight a game uh, on the season, had eight. In Game Three, uh, and the Mavericks end up losing this game, ninety-seven, ninety-two, as the Blazers pull away late. Brandon Roy, the aforementioned uh, you know Blazers star who was coming off the bench in this game, started to cook a little bit here. After giving him, I think, an average of three points a game in the first two games, Brandon Roy had sixteen in this one on just ten shots, and it started to look like okay, that's the. That's the key to the Blazers, not just being an also ran team. Be trouble. They have another guy who can actually fill it up. So Dallas goes into game four, down 2-1, uh, and then they race out to a huge, huge lead in game four, and they are ready to bring this thing back to Dallas. Or were they? Next. So as we uh, into the last segment with the Mavericks, uh, take a 2-0 lead in their 2011 series against the Portland Trail Blazers. In the first round, 3-6 matchup, Dallas with 57 wins. Uh, after getting down uh, by six points in the back half of the fourth quarter in game two, Dallas rallies for a win in that one as Dirk has 18 points in the fourth quarter, 13 of them at the line. Dallas goes to Portland with a 1-0 excuse me, with a 2-0 advantage. And in game three, Portland kind of does what most teams do whenever they're going home in game three. Huge crowd energy in that one. Um, and they win 97-92. Pivotal. pivotal game three. Absolutely. If they lose that one, they're done. That's what the word pivotal, pivotal was invented for. Game four, though, is usually the one where you feel like, okay, let's stop messing around here. Let's, uh, it's a 3-6 matchup. This team won 57 games. Dallas went 2-9 and nine in games without Dirk that year. They easily could have won 60. You're thinking, in most normal scenarios, given this, uh, the two, team's caliber of Dallas and Portland, you're thinking, okay, Dallas takes care of business here. They will go home up 3-1, and they will close this thing out. Uh, Before we get to how they built that huge lead, I thought you would find uh, this interesting. This is um, roughly around the beginning of Game 4 back in 2011. Down of the night presented by Corona. Dirk Nowitzki. Huh. All right. Pretty ironic. I don't. Guess the reason. I think I missed it. So the reason we're doing this. Down of the night presented by Corona. Dirk Nowitzki. All right. Is it Dirk? I don't know. Um. So yes, this at this point, like without Corona, we wouldn't be doing this right now. That's all right. full circle. That's right. 
Uh, so game four, really, really slow start in game four. Uh, and it is jarring to go back and watch basketball from even nine, nine years ago and how, uh, as I mentioned, uh, yesterday in game two, Dirk took one three and hit it. And it was a huge three late in the game that gave Dallas a lead, but he took one three in a playoff game in the, In the 2010s, not in 99. That is him hitting as many threes as Larry Bird averaged per game in the best (laughs) season he ever had in making three-pointers. It's just nuts. And the pace is way down. The end of the first quarter in game four, Dallas uh, has a commanding 16-11 to lead (laughs) in a playoff series. 11? 16-11. Wow, they deed up. In the first quarter, yeah. In the first quarter of Game 2, Wes Matthews had five for Portland, and Andre Miller had six, and that's wow. it. Wow. Yeah. In the second quarter, it opens up a little bit more. Uh, Dallas with a 21-24 advantage there. And, uh, yeah, you start to feel like, okay, um, this is where Dallas can kind of pull away. They were up by as many as 10 in the second quarter, uh, but Portland did close the half on a run, and it's 37-35 at half in Game 4. But then the Mavs build a massive lead in the third quarter as uh, Portland goes 3 of 18 from the the floor in the third quarter. Portland could not buy a bucket in the third quarter. Whereas for the Mavericks, uh, they were getting it from everybody. Peja had 6, Sean Marion had 8, Dirk had 7, and the Mavericks start to pull away. Uh, At one point, after it's 39-37, with 10 points left to play in the fourth... You look up seven minutes later, and it's Mavericks. Excuse me, that's in the third, and it's Mavericks 61-41. So they have a 20-point lead. At one point, Dallas is up by as many as 23 in the third third quarter. A 20-point lead. Actually, they got it to uh, 23. 67-44 with an opportunity to bury Portland at home, go up 3-1, come home, and now we're at least not worrying about the first round, which is all we're talking about. Uh, throughout all these broadcasts, how the Mavericks can't get it done, even in the first round. And uh, Kevin McHale starts to chime in here. At this point, it's 67-44 with just a couple minutes remaining in the third quarter. And Dallas, when you're out on the road like this and you've had the lack of success on the road uh, since the NBA Finals in 2006, it it doesn't matter. You know what? 64-42, any way you can get it. Yep. Yeah, I tell you what, ugly win still counts as a win, and they're going to get it. Ugly win still counts as a win, and they're going to get it. And at that point, the, again, the That's Blazers— That's an ugly 64-42 lead? Well, it was just the Blazers had 41 points with a couple seconds left in the third quarter, and it didn't feel like the Mavericks were necessarily just locking them down. The Blazers just were awful. Okay. Um, I mean, just could not get a bucket to save their life, and they weren't— they didn't have a whole lot of shooters really on their team, so they weren't really typically positioned to just get back into a game all of a sudden. Yeah. So, uh, yes, we go to the fourth quarter, and the Mavericks have a 67-49 lead, and it feels like, okay, we can lock this down quickly here. We can maybe even rest some guys at the end of game three or game four because keep in mind, Dallas at this point had the third oldest roster in the entire NBA. Yeah, you're saying um, they held Kidd out of a few games at the end of the season just to. 
Yeah, at the end of the regular season, Kidd missed two games, I believe, in five days, and it, it showed in the first two games of the series. He, he had his legs and he was hitting the three. Not the case after the cross-country or, you know, almost cross-country mm-hmm. flight to Portland everyone worries about. Old team. Uh, so you're thinking maybe we can even get a little bit of rest here at game four, in this thing in five, then we're extra ready for uh, round two, especially if we have to see the young, uh, you know, well, really anybody at this point if you're an old team. So uh, the start of the fourth quarter, we go back to Kevin McHale. And for the Mavericks, Coach, Coach Carlisle thing, all we got to do is be in this first five minutes. Let's make sure we all play him for the first five minutes of the fourth, and this game will be over. I'll play him for the first five minutes of the quarter. This game will be over. They did not. First five minutes, Portland outscores Dallas 15-8, to and it's all of a sudden 75-66, and you're thinking, all right, you know. Collar tightening. It's a little bit this of a game a, here, but it's still a nine-minute game. The, the and, and team that's known for choking, though. That's the thing. In the backdrop of all these games is blowing it, whether it's in a game, whether it's a lead in a series, whether it's – just flat out getting beat by a team in a series that you're higher seeded than. I don't think we can stress enough how much that for a seven, eight, nine, ten year period, the Mavericks' entire identity was wrapped up in blowing it and underperforming. That was their the name of the game when people talked about Dallas outside of Dallas, and even for a lot of people inside. That's why this this year did everything for Dirk's career. Do you ever just? Stop just this one year. Think. And it's kind of ridiculous because he still would have had as many points and as many rebounds and been as great as he was. Changed the game, but. Just as clutch. He wouldn't be. He would not have received the legitimacy, the farewell tour type thing that he did. I Don't c- you agree? Oh, not only like do his, I agree. His rankings, whether you take Bill Simmons' all-time rankings, you know. A lot of people are putting him in a top 10 NBA player of all time. But it would be way below if he never got this one playoff run. Yeah. I don't know that I could handle it. Like if Romo got one playoff run. Right. You'd be debating whether he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. and But he never got one. Dirk's meant more to me just because of the, the failure in 06 and just probably duration was part of it and just where the Mavericks were coming from. Um, not that... You know, Romo was taken over for a uh, uh, murderer's row of actual quarterback talent. But, you know, the, a lot of us have seen the Cowboys at least be good during some point of our life. Um, but so in this game, they're following the template. They're blowing it. Up 23 late in the third. Uh, and by the five-minute mark, it's 60 uh, – excuse me, it's 70 uh, – 77, 66. That's, that's the point we're at right now. And – Brand- Five minutes left, 11-point lead. Yeah, and Brandon Roy starts to cook. You can win that. This is the point where Brandon Roy really starts to take over. And this, I, I wish I could have talked to someone from Portland to ask them where this ranks in, like, the all-time lore of their city's sports history. Because a dude that they drafted who ultimately had to retire after this year because his knees were so bad, he retired during the lockout. And he must have been 27. He tried to come back, I think, in 2013. But here's a dude who was a rookie of the year for your team. He's an all-star. He might be sort of a face of the franchise for years to come. They've already maxed him out. And he said after game two in Dallas that he was crying in a towel on the bench because he was so upset that he couldn't get on the floor and help his team. 
because his knees are that bad. And now here's a team about to be buried on their home floor, down 20-plus, and Brandon Roy comes through and just starts. He can't miss. He ultimately goes 8 of 10 in the fourth quarter and scores 18 of his 24 points in the fourth quarter. And before the Mavericks can even know what hit them, it's a, you know, it's a six-point game with two and a half minutes left. It's a four-point game with two minutes left. It's a two-point game with a minute and a half left. Uh, Marion finally gets a bucket. The Mavericks desperately needed to go up 82-78 with a minute uh, 19 left. Brandon Roy hits a three. Marion fouls him. Four-point game. Ties it up. Sounds like momentum there, huh? It kind of does. It kind of does. See, that's the thing about me being a momentum truther. I will admit when I see momentum, and it looks like momentum, but if you're on the other side, you'll never admit that, you know, if if uh, Jamie Benn scores a goal, even though they had just given up three, then it's, oh, well, well yeah. Sorry. Just yeah. to bring up momentum. No, you're right. I think that but, the difference is... But I will is, admit, sometimes it feels like momentum does play a part in things. And I think... The crowd, you're at home. The crowd the is team's, a huge part of it. The other team's so used to choking on the road. and With two and a half minutes left in an NBA playoff game, the Dirk, officials Dirk, are It has just, to be in Dirk's head. This is me. This is what I do. I win MVPs and then lose first-round series, you know? Yeah. It's got to... They hear the noise. And the ref's heads just have to be swimming Yeah, at a time like this. Uh, Dirk gave he Dallas up in it. nothing in the fourth quarter, basically. He went one for three for four points. And as I said, there's a four-point play there. Game is now tied at 82 after Brandon Roy hits a three, goes to the line. Uh, just over a minute left to play here. Terry takes a horribly advised three. Ties it up with what? You said a minute four? A minute 06, oh, yeah, okay. at 82. And so Jason, uh, Jason Terry takes a uh, kind of early, not early, but earlier than you would like, deep three contested, uh, bricks it, and at this point there's a review. Did it go off of uh, Tyson Chandler or did it go off the Portland player? And I think it was Gerald Wallace. And at this point, I'm thinking if I would remember watching this live, the three or four or five minute time where they reviewed this would have felt like an eternity for Dallas sports because you're about to have to come back to Dallas Tied it two after blowing a twenty point lead in the fourth quarter. Well, and that feels like the heels momentum this transferred to games, yeah. Yeah. And so they review it and it t- it takes forever. I ended up watching it in like one point five time because it was so long. They review it, they overturn the call, they give the ball to Portland, Brandon Roy comes down, hits a shot, eighty four eighty two Portland with thirty nine seconds left to play in the game. Jason Kidd misses a three, and at this point, the game is over. And the Mavericks' faces all just look, you know. I think they they each traded buckets one more Can't time. Can't believe but, it. But t- by the time the Mavericks got the ball back to take their Hail Mary. Um, Terry had a look a, at it at Terry the did, He did get a, a look uh, from three, right, to try to win it. Yeah. Uh, that he took with .3 seconds left on the clock after uh, the Mavericks got the ball back with two and a half seconds. But that's one of those feelings of, I wish we got blown out. I would rather be blown out than lose a game like that. And just to put yourself to you, back you know? in that mindset of, okay, we almost blew game two, 
but we exercise those demons. So we're lucky now, to be 2-2 two, two here. We're lu- At that one, you're thinking you're well, lucky you're up 2-0, but yeah. then you're thinking, all right, maybe we beat back our one black cat that we're going to have to deal with in this uh, series, like this one crazy event that no one's seen before. We Maybe we've already had that one in Game 2. And now I would have to think after Game 4, the this is the same old Mavericks, the Mavericks choke. I have to think that, Dude, the people were the, the natives were extremely restless. Do we have full shows from back then? Uh, That's pre Jake. Once Jake joined the show, we started archiving every second of everything, which is great. We have segments. I don't think we have full shows, but we definitely have have segments from these runs that we need to go back and review because I need to dig up. I've saved every notebook I've written in. Oh man, that would be gold. And so I'm going to dig those up um, today and be ready for tomorrow. But if so you remember those, those first two games, it took Dirk surging in the fourth quarter just to win. So without those two fourth quarters by Dirk, there's no telling what this series would be. It also took Jason Kidd being lights out from three, uh, playing way above his head offensively. And when he came back down to earth with eight points uh, in game three and nine points in game four, it kind of looked like, how would this team ever beat anybody? Right. They were yeah. not playing well. <laughs> you look at their lineup even, and you're just like, where was the offense coming from? Dirk or Terry? But what if Terry wasn't on? He wasn't that consistent, right? Not Dirk consistent. No, and in game four, he went five of 16, Terry. So, he you know, Sean Marion was kind of a cleanup guy. You know, Tyson Chandler was never an offensive force of any kind. Uh, Deshaun started, but that was just, you know. So Terry could be the off the bench guy. Page, I guess, off the bench a little bit. Yeah, Page if, gave if you indeed something he here got there, hot. But yeah, again, he was a hit or miss. So is that it for Game Four? They lose. They lose. We're game tied four. at two, and we're heading back to Dallas. That's correct. And uh, we'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> the next couple segments, we're going to continue our series of going through the Mavericks' 2011 march to the Larry O'Brien. And I think we all remember pretty much where we were for every game of the NBA Finals that year and every twist and turn and what the days in between were like and quarter by quarter. And I've had a lot of people tell me they remember where they were for every single one of those games. And I concur. I think a lot of people have similar uh, memories about the second round against the Lakers. Um Possibly because it was the Lakers, but just the Mother's Day situation and and, and the Mavericks, you know, dalliance over the years with Kobe. Uh, we'll see when we get to Oklahoma City in the Western Conference Finals how people uh, remember that one in time and place. But the first round, as we've discussed over the last couple of days in breaking down this series, people really forget just about everything about this uh, first round series. The Mavericks were a 57 win team a three-seed, taking on a 48-win team, uh, a six-seed in Portland. And the first game on a national broadcast that had Dave Pash and Doris Burke, the whole narrative in the first game uh, as they were setting it up was, hey, is this the same old Mavericks? They get bounced in the first round when they're a higher seed. They get bounced uh, in the finals whenever they have a 2-0 lead. They, uh, again, were the first team at that time, I believe, in a seven-game series to have lost in a 1-8 matchup uh, as the one. So they were just hammering home. Is Dirk soft? Is this the same old Mavs? Will they uh, Will they be able to, to rewrite history here? And the general consensus was no. 
Uh, and so I think it's interesting as we go through these and head into Game 5, Blake went back and found... Blake's our new producer, by the way. Hey, guys. And found audio of Bad Radio discussing uh, these games and these series you know, throughout the day, uh, throughout the week, and throughout the months, uh, starting in April of 2011, which will become more important tomorrow um, as you guys were talking about heading into Game 6. So I... I f- you saw I went into my uh, storage here, and I keep notebooks just throughout my life on the radio, and I just label them, you know, uh, when I did the Stars post game, it would just be Stars 2010, Star, you know, whatever, Cowboy season I do that for, and then just general show, I'll just label with uh, whatever season it is, and I have, here's my summer 2011 notebook, and I found it, and so I have notes on every one of the games including Game 5, and I'm just going to tell you this before we get into Game 5, as you watch the full game. Uh, Did you note what I have here uh, starred and highlighted? This might be my first ever exposure with Spalding, because I just have written down, Jerry Jones' grandson has better seats than I've ever had. He must be on the the court. And uh, later I have a note, like in the fourth quarter, I can't stop looking at Jerry's grandson. He's texting now. Like I think yeah, I he guess was, I didn't notice. I, I guess I didn't notice it. I noticed he he was right behind the Portland bench, if I remember right. So every time that they would show Portland coach McMillan, he was, was there. It real tiny little young Spalding. Yeah, way young. Now we're we're all familiar. We always talk about Spalding. Wow, this might have been my first ever exposure to Spalding. I'll have to go back and look at that. He must have. What Game do you, five. What do you think he is now? Twenty three, twenty four. So we're talking fourteen, fifteen year old Spalding. But if I'm just calling him Jerry's grandson, it That's must wild. have been well known that he was Spalding because I would have written Spalding, right? Who knew what he would uh, come to mean to us? So in game one, as we detailed the other day, huge, huge shooting night from Jason Kidd. I believe he averaged eight points a game on the season. He had 24 in game one and uh, was 6 of 10 from three. Dirk had 28 in the game, but only had 10 heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, and then scored 18 points to get to 28 in the fourth. 13 of those came at the line. He was 13 for 13 at the line in game one. All of those again in the fourth quarter. No other Maverick uh, in double figures other than Jason Terry, who had 10 off the bench. And the Mavericks were down six with five minutes left to go in game one. Um, Very easily could have lost that game is the point there. Like it seemed like a lot of people expected them to. Uh, And speaking of that, let's talk here. I'll play a little bit of audio for you here of Bad Radio um, before the series even started. I believe Bob was gone this day, so it's just uh, Donovan, Dan, and Tom on the ticket. Is it not playing over here? Boom. Year one. Yeah, I think it was. Portland uh, newspapers. Yeah, and they had several players going. So just for a second, let's talk Mavs, just playoff picture. It is Portland. It is. That uh, everybody seems to fear. And quiver when they hear that it's going to be Portland. And everyone is picking Portland. The talking, well, the talking heads. You know, you you look at the national shows and they have the question, well, what one series could there be an upset or will there be an upset? And everyone's saying Portland. Everyone's saying that this matchup is bad for Dallas and Portland's going to be Dallas. Okay, so there's you guys acknowledging that at the time that everyone says that Portland is going to beat Dallas. And it looked that way late in game one like the, like the Mavericks were – same old Mavericks. In Game 2, 
Um, they were able to pull out to a pretty comfortable lead in the fourth quarter and win that one 101-89. So series still hasn't started, uh, but they're headed back to Dallas. Or excuse me, they're headed to Portland uh, for game three. Game three, uh, you know, similar type game where it just was Portland pulling away late in that one. Uh, and then we get to game four, which we broke down in detail yesterday, where the Mavericks were up 23 in the fourth quarter with an opportunity to go up 3-1 uh, and basically end the series. And maybe get a little bit of rest for the third oldest roster in the in the NBA that year. Uh, have a little bit of extra time before they they would face their eventual opponent uh, in round two, the Lakers. They blew that lead. Brandon Roy goes off in the fourth quarter, hits a game winner, uh, and it felt again like that was the time where you really had the same old Mavericks type thing setting in. And uh, I want to play a little bit of audio. Uh, after, let's see here, bah, 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 bah. after game four of what, uh, of what you guys were saying on the show, right? This is after game four, heading into game five. Bob is now back in the mix. They lost the two in Portland. Dallas can say they held serve, although that, you know, it took a stake and it put it right within a centimeter of my heart. Now they, they still got to win one here no matter what. Right, right. You continue to hold serve, you win the series. If you guys don't mind. All right, now let's... Right now, let's go realistic. I would like sports term. I would like to speak as the guy who I think in late February said, "I don't buy what the Mavericks are trying to sell me," and I don't believe I've wavered from that since, including taking the Blazers in six. And I didn't know how we were going to get here, but they're not playing the Blazers. You're right, Dan. They're better than the Blazers. They're not playing the Blazers in the series. They're playing that giant. Their own history a little that bit. That giant mm-hmm. backpack of rocks that they are forced to carry around with them everywhere they go. They are their own worst enemy. And that, just when you thought maybe, just maybe they've shaken those ghosts, you realize, wait a minute, those ghosts are more inside their heads than ever before if you lose a game like Game 4. That's not losing a game. That is a picture of six years. That is this thing in a nutshell. He wasn't wrong at all, given what they carried into the postseason, as he put it, as Bob put it, a backpack full of rocks back in 2011. It was entirely reasonable to think that blowing a 23-point lead on the road late in the third quarter of a game where you could have gone up 3-1, that that is the take-it-to-your-blanking-grave moment. Yeah. Another team, you might not say that. Right. But this team, especially with Dirk at the tip of the spear, because that had been Dirk's thing too. You won an MVP, then you got bounced as the one seed. Like that's historic, right? Eight seeds don't bounce one seeds. Not in seven game series, no. And and that happened to them. They won. Uh, I think what was it the year before? You said they won sixty some games and they got bounced in the first round. They were the two seed. Yep. So, yeah, that's certainly in their brains. So that would be one way to look at things. Certainly they couldn't have been doing that in the room. And I believe by looking at my notes, I wasn't really believing that. Or at least I was trying to convince myself I didn't believe that. But I could see how that's that's definitely the national narrative. Uh, You were not believing it. That'll become more pertinent tomorrow. But here's a little bit uh, from you uh, back uh, after game four, 
on how the Mavericks position themselves whenever everybody thinks that they can get something done. People are bringing up parallels to pass, whether it's Miami, Golden State, um, oh, getting bounced last year perhaps as a higher seed. Weren't they a higher mm-hmm. seed last year? They were. Um, whether it's that, he's like, well, we're a much mentally tougher team than those teams. How are you? I was going to say, that's saying the right thing, but where's the evidence to prove that you are? This is the, the, If you were mentally team, tougher, do you let a team back in in the fourth quarter, or do you step on their throat? These guys are so, so psychologically They don't have a damaged. killer attitude. They, they're very bad front runners. They've got Because oh. you entered the fourth quarter as the front runner. Hey, you're you know, up 18. You were a, a one seed over Golden State. You were the front runner. Once you were ahead two games to none and up by 13 with uh, five minutes left to play in Miami, you were clearly the front runner. So you could- doesn't listening back to how to this make you appreciate the like Spartan warrior view we have of that team whenever they were finally done slaying? They were overcoming their enemy. the beliefs of their own fans, yes, their own chills. We dude, wanted them to do really well. It, it gives me chills to listen to this because that you just can't that's a subjective say this. thing to overcome, but. Still, it's still you can't say this about most NBA champions, right? Most NBA champions, you're not surprised by them. The most, the closest thing we have is LeBron coming back from down three, three one, and in that scenario, we're trying to paint LeBron as like this guy who uh, no one believed in. Like maybe no one believed, you know, at three one, but still, it's LeBron. Yeah, we're sitting here. Listening to this from a team that you guys were super, super knowledgeable about and intimately involved with, had relationships, and knowing that from this point forward, after Game 4, that they only lost three more times for the rest of the postseason, it it really does kind of give me chills. Because the, we now think of them as the most mentally tough playoff run group uh, that we've seen in a long time. And this is what people were saying just four games in, and with all and every reason to say it. So the Heat series in 2006, they were up two games nothing? Yeah. And up 13 in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Because I do remember after that not being um, that worried and thinking that'll be cooler because we can – I remember walking with Bob back to the car. We parked in some real nefarious area in, uh, in, in Miami but saying, you know, this will be cool because they can win it on their home court now. Thought it would suck if you just swept it in Miami, <laughs> but but yeah. So no, all that baggage had been added on since then. All right. Well, so that's after. It's game not a four. bad take to say that. No, that no. They're... I think it was completely reasonable, and all the evidence yeah. was there. So heading into Game Five, uh, with the Mavericks having a terrible road playoff record, I believe they were three and uh, something like three and sixteen in their previous nineteen uh, before this series. Were they able to get it done in Game 5 next? All right, we're going through the Mavs' 2011 playoff run. Uh, and we've started here in the first round with Mavs, Blazers. Mavs get up to a 2-0 lead. Uh, Blazers win both games in Portland, uh, including a massive 23-point late in the third quarter comeback uh, in Game 4. And now we're headed back to Dallas. So the version of this game that I have uh, is courtesy of an NBA, uh, NBA TV um, video and on the call, and I think this might have still been in the day where some games on NBA TV were just the local crew broadcast nationally. This because this I'm year hearing... is the first round, the entire first round. See, I know that the entire first round is on NBA TV, but I thought that it wasn't local broadcasters. I thought they would have a separate, you know, NBA TV like their D team. 
no, and that they would do it rather than taking the local broadcast. Like, so what would you have gotten in Portland? I guess you would have got your local, yeah, go, national. Going back okay. through that 2011 audio, the they talk about how Falwell and the guys are doing the entire first round, and that's throughout the entire NBA that local broadcasts are doing the first round. So we have Mark Falwell, uh, Jeff Skinwade, and Derek Harper. And a couple clips from this game as we head into Game 5, as Dan is thinking, hey, Game 4 is going to be a rallying point. Bob uh, is thinking they're cooked. This just fits right in with the, the MO of this team over the last uh, handful of years. Game 4, meltdown, no surprise to him. This is just more of the same from Dallas. Uh, so I wanted to, to go to Game 5 here back in Dallas. I want to play you this little bit of audio. I don't think this is, is it racist? I think it's more, uh, would you say this today? Uh, there was a really hard foul. Uh, I think it might have been Sean Marion delivered a hard foul, but there's a real hard foul on somebody, uh, and there's a, a certain reference. I like it, man. I like the kung fu foul coming in with the tight action grip, man. It was, it was mine. It was definitely hard. <laughs> Make it count, baby. <laughs> kung fu, huh? For the second time in the series, Corey Brewer will make an appearance. The aforementioned Chino oh! Chuck. <laughs> okay, at first so, I was going to say no, Jake. You're, of course, you could say kung fu. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can say kung flu. No, no, we learned that. But you can't. But the uh, actually, the sound effects. Actually, do we? Can we get that? Do we? Is that a drop worthy? Is it? The second time in the series, Corey Brewer will make an appearance. The aforementioned Chino Chuck. <laughs> a little harp, uh, oh, harp. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, this was a right around the same time that we got Tom Greaves' reaction to Jim Knox uh, chopping wood blocks with his hands out in the outfield. I don't know if you have Whoa. that. Jim Knox, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, if I were to hold one up against the other, I think I probably would say you're more okay with the action figure sound than you are with grief. <laughs> And if they were either way. showing the replay, right. he was adding a sound right. effect to the replay. And they That's, were. Okay. They were. But still, we came away with... Uh, oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim Knox. So, the Mavericks in this game, uh, game five. Um, Dallas goes up. They get down a little bit in the first half. Dallas goes on a little bit of run in the second quarter. They were down. I, I have written in my notes... Uh, NBA TV for some reason was blacked out right in the beginning, and then when I tuned in, it was twenty-three to fifteen. Mavs were down. Yes, so down pretty significantly at, at first. And it just, especially keep in mind the heels of that of that game yeah, now, four meltdown. You're that's thinking, kind of two consecutive quarters of bad stuff. Right uh, in the second quarter, Dirk goes off a little bit, has eight in the second quarter alone, and um, the Mavericks are able to bring it to. You think I would have this in front of me? They were trailing twenty fifteen, so forty three. Uh, it's forty four forty three Mavs uh, at the half. So at that point, you're thinking, all right, let's just reset the game here. And uh, the Mavericks had a huge third quarter in this game, um, and built themselves a nice little lead that you'd like to think, okay, we can nurse this home. Although we just saw this uh, the other night, Dirk had eleven in the third quarter on three of seven shooting, got to the line six times, and man. I'll tell you, again, I know I referenced this the other day, and it's probably not completely comparable. 
But if you're a Mavs fan who's really mad about Dwayne Wade in 06, there's probably a Blazers fan you want to meet to talk to you about Dirk getting to the line in 2011. Because, and a lot of it was Dirk's aggressiveness, that Dirk stopped settling for jump, uh, jump shots. But, man, again, 13 in the fourth quarter of game one, and he is just getting to the line over and over and over. Uh, had nine uh, made free throws on 11 shots in game five. And the upshot of game five is that whenever they went to the fourth quarter up 10, they played him to a draw in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, they're up three, they're up three, two at that point. It's 19, 18 Portland in the fourth quarter. They never, uh, flinched in the fourth quarter. But that's not to me. Certainly fresh in their mind was their meltdown the, the oh, game before. Absolutely. But to me, in listening back to that, that's not the most important thing I heard in the broadcast in game four. Because this would actually become much more important for Dallas later. In that third quarter, as we said, the game was in a little bit of a lull. There was kind of a you know a blah type feeling to it, um, and uh, Followell is reading uh, some updates from around the league, other scores, and including uh, this note regarding where the Sacramento Kings play and might play. Still, no decision has been made by the Sacramento Kings on their potential move to Anaheim. They have until May 2nd to make a decision on whether or not they will file to relocate for next year. So that was still going on. I don't really have a memory of that. Yeah, and if you remember... I guess they had fallen out of favor, so... Who was the guy who played for I them? Who was the, the, uh, the mayor? Kevin Johnson? Yeah, and that he was pushing he hard for that, but some... then... Yeah. Kempspin might have something on Kevin Johnson. Oh, definitely, and I think that might have been around... Maybe around the time that he was pushing hard for them to move or a couple years later, but definitely he had a... Uh, is it too much to ask for that as our next one? Absolutely not. I'd be... I'd be Because uh, I, I recall, there was a lot going on with Kevin Johnson. There was a lot going on like and not under, a lot of years under uh, the table. the girl that... Well, that, but I mean just uh, weird goings on with payments on this new facility or all that stuff. Yeah. I have written down here something which makes me think of... Um, was Derek Harper fairly new to the broadcast? Because I believe this is the year that Bob Ortigal was let go in the middle of the season. And would, that have, would that have meant that Derek Harper took over for Bob Ortigal? Because I have notes on Derek Harper, which I wouldn't write now, but I have notes that I'm, I seem to be surprised that he says aggressive all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's your <laughs> whoa! This guy. Uh, so you were you were laying the trap, thinking, boy, he's bound to, to right. bungle this at some point. But, if he's, he's per and now I might per just aggress. know he really right. says that word a lot. But yeah, I'm seeing here February 2011. No, so yeah, 20. The, like was Derek Harper fairly new to me? Yeah, he must as have been. I'm. You know, really locked into the Mavs games. That's what I'm wondering. He was let go, I think, February 2011. Well, that makes sense then. Uh, it matches up. Maybe not. I'm trying to figure this out here. This but, Wolanski article from December. I would rather you stop now because it makes me look better. You saying yes. Harper was up. definitely new. I'm just trying to gauge how new. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to wait for another day to see whether or not it hurts. So let's go back to the game. Friday follow up. And again, keep in mind the Mavericks are the three seed. And the uh, Blazers are the sixth seed. And so go back to that year. The other playoff matchups 
uh, around Dallas were. You had the Thunder and Nuggets as the 4-5. You had the Lakers and the Hornets as the 2-7. And then you had the Spurs as the one seed taking on the Memphis Grizzlies, who at this point, I believe Memphis is up 2-1 on this night, April 25th, 20, uh, 2011. Memphis is up 2-1 on San Antonio. In the fourth quarter, how about this? Memphis has opened up, am I seeing that right? A 16-point lead. Ten minutes to play. How about that? That's who Memphis wanted for good reason. They, they felt like they could beat that San Antonio team, obviously. Well, if they close out tonight, they'll be up 3-1. Wes Matthews with a drive. You know, I'd recommend announcing that score in this building. <laughs> Matt fans love that stuff. They sure. love hearing that score. Because the game is in sort of a lull right now. Yes. I don't feel like the crowd is involved enough. I forgot they were here for a second. I could I could hear us talking. We can't have that. It's got to be rowdy in here. Well, couldn't hear yourselves talking, having a normal conversation up at the Rose Garden. No, no not this, at all. This is, this is definitely more of a give me a reason to cheer crowd. There's no doubt about it. Unlike Portland, they come to cheer. They do. A couple things. Not sure Harp would say that now. Uh, although certainly he does still have a, uh, a rogueness about his broadcasting, but he's just flat out saying what we've all said for years. This is a give-me-something-to-cheer-for crowd. And I, like I told you, when I went back and watched Game 3 and 4 in Portland, the place was on fire the entire time, right? Was, was that mid-third quarter? Because I have that note yep. written that Followell said the crowd is... Yep, crowd is tepid, and Skin is saying put the score up, uh, up there so, so that they can have something things. to cheer about. Yeah. And the reason they would cheer about like that their is... their lead in this game wasn't enough. Right. Right. Because that's how, again, to reiterate, just I think how beaten down the Maverick fan is, that yeah. they're looking at a lead in the third, third quarter and saying, one, who cares if you close this out, you'll probably lose game six in Portland. Two, uh, maybe you don't close it out and you just blow it again. But then three, the most important reason why you'd put that up there is... Do not take anything away from the Mavericks because they went through what they went through in the first round. They went through what they went through against Kobe and company in the second round in a sweep. They dusted uh, KD, Harden, Westbrook, and then had to face you know the Miami Heatles. People sleep on how important Memphis wasting away uh, or wasting San Antonio in that first round was. Because with all the baggage the Mavericks had against the Spurs, including losing as the high the two seed to them in the first round the year before, the fact that Memphis was able to jump on San Antonio as the eight seed in that game this same night as Mavericks uh, Blazers game five and go up three one. Now San Antonio won uh, the next game, uh, but Memphis closed them out in six, and so. That's, oh, so an eight seed beat a one again? Yeah, yeah. That it's happened since then. All right, that's what the made Mavericks Mavs have, fans feel a lot better. Is now we're not the only ones to lose to an eight right. seed as a one seed. Right, and we don't have to play the Spurs at any point in this run. Whether it's, uh, I guess it would have ended up being in the Western Conference Finals, but still, you uh, would Memphis much rather lost see to the Lakers. Uh, no, 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 because the Mavs played the Lakers next. Yeah, yeah. okay, Thunder. Memphis lost to the Thunder. Um, Everybody had to think that they was pushed their it to opening, seven right? games. Yeah, I exactly. Would imagine the Lakers and Thunder thought this is our path now to the finals. So again, it's not to take anything away from the Mavericks, but an underplayed part of this when we think back on it is not only they easily could have lost Game One, Series One, but by the time that they were doing away with Portland, you were able to look over your shoulder a little bit and think, "Wow!" So the big bad brother, who's been, uh, you know. Give me swirlies all these years. They're gone. 
This is cool. This is cool, just the whole, it's kind of the worst time in our sports history, but you're making me relive the best time in our sports history. So it's uh, balancing it out, kind of. <clears throat> testing, testing. Hello, hello. <laughs> are we on Birmingham? All right, you guys are on air. Okay, thanks. Go to the Ticket.com contest page for your chance to win a $100 gift card from Richardson Bike Mart. Richardson Bike Mart's four store locations are open and offering free shipping for online purchases. Visit BikeMart.com to find updated information on store hours and what each location is open for. Rode my bike yesterday for, I think, the third day in a row. So apparently that's a uh, good bit that Richardson Bike Mart is... uh, Helping out people now, because we're dusting off the cobwebs off our bikes. Jake is wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He has opened up Hawaiian shirt season. Yep. Feels like a little early that it's March, but, you know, it's 80 degrees. It's basically April, and it was over 85 two days in a row. Flannel was not going to work today. We're way closer to Hawaiian shirt Friday than we are to flannel Friday. Agree? Okay. So we'll go straight into it. We're not going to transition? If we need to fill the gap, we can. But in lieu of that discussion having happened already, I wanted to play it safe and go with already Hawaiian Shirt Friday. Okay, I'll go find one and put one on in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Do We're I going, have to leave? Why not? Break? We're going insane. That's <laughs> uh, true. Here's Jake with Mavs Bit. Yep, so we've been walking you through the 2011 Mavericks playoff run. We all remember uh, the finals and every single twist and turn of that very well. Everybody has their favorite moments from perhaps the Lakers series, perhaps the Thunder series, but it's been really interesting and, and entertaining for me to go back and watch the first round series against Portland. Uh, and interestingly enough, somebody sent me this uh, the other day. It is a screenshot of all of the ESPN picks that were made at every set uh every stretch before every series through that run Mm. so as we've discussed uh after we played game one audio where it was doris burke and dave pash the entire setup of the production was all of the mavericks past failures from 06 blowing the 2-0 lead from getting bounced as a one seed no i was born a tall is that me not my bad. Okay, I was like, is my computer playing audio? Uh, so uh, the year sound like it was Dirk. Yeah, the year before uh, losing uh, to the to the Spurs in the first round. Uh, Spurs being a seven season. That's all anybody's talking about in these games. Is it's just a matter of time before the Mavericks blow it. Who cares if they get past the Blazers? They'll probably blow it after that. Uh, and I found this uh, graphic from uh, a Mavs blogger. I don't know his name, so sorry. Um, but there's five experts here. Uh, the blog Ball Don't Lie picked Portland and six. Johnny Ludden picked Portland and six. Greg Anthony picked Portland and six. Mark Spears, who I believe is now with the undefeated, picked Dallas and seven. And Woj went with a Portland sweep mm. for a 3-6 matchup featuring a 57-win Mavericks team that I believe went 2-9 and nine without Dirk that uh, year. So easily could have seen them being a 60-plus win team, yet here's Woj picking Portland in four. Uh, And if we talked about the Mavericks in game one, uh, we're down late at home, came back and won that game. 
Uh, got game two, dropped game three in Portland, and then blew a 23-point lead late in the third quarter uh, in game four as Brandon Roy, who would retire shortly after this series um, during the lockout. Portland comes back from down 23, and they level the series up at four, headed back to Dallas. And this is when that's the moment right there where everybody started hitting the same old Mavericks alarm. And as we discussed uh, before talking about Game 5 yesterday, playing some audio from Bad Radio back in April of 2011, um, Bob was, and rightly, given the evidence, extremely out on the Mavericks at this point. Dan, not so much. So even after the Mavericks get Game 5, they have to go back to Portland for Game 6 in an attempt to close it out, and I believe the Mavericks were something like 2-17 and 17 in their past 19 road playoff games. So... The chalk was there's no way they're beating Portland in Portland in Game 6, and it comes back here for a Game 7, and you're thinking, this team's going to you know, wet the bed. So let's go to bad radio uh, before Game 6 as we're headed back to Portland uh, with the Mavericks up 3-2 and uh, check in with the show from back then. To just not having defined what this Mavs team is all about. Like I feel like I have a good feeling for this team because I've seen them in so many battles, and I've seen them – just totally fold up shop on the road in so many playoff games. The wild card is Tyson Chandler. Okay. So, if you go back and think about that uh, that place in time, we were really kind of pending all of our hopes on Tyson Chandler being the difference maker. He's the only guy that wasn't there for all that stuff before. His presence is the reason you became a top 10 defense, although I think they were 10 that year. And the old adage has always been, you need to be 10 in both categories. Top 10 in both. You cannot, yeah, that's been broken, I think, in years past. But back then, it, the thought was, that's great that you have the number four offense, but you're, thir- you're, you're 18th in defense, you're going to lose in the playoffs. Tyson was the reason that they were able to get up to that top 10. And uh, let's go to a different clip here uh, with Bob. But honestly, Dan, since they went to Miami, they have two road wins in the playoffs, both of them in that 09 series in San Antonio, if I'm right, if I recall, when Ginobili didn't even play. But all their trips to Oakland, all their trips to New Orleans, all their trips to Denver, all their trips to Portland, all their trips to San Antonio when Ginobili did play, they've and all their trips to Miami, they've lost every single game they've played. Every single road playoff game they've played, except that 9 Spurs series against a beat-up Spurs team, they've lost all of them, 0-17. So, I'm sorry. I don't share your optimism for tonight. And when it comes to Game 7 on Saturday, I will agree with you that the Mavs will be favored, and history says home teams win uh, Game 7s, and, and the Mavs have proven they can win in Dallas. Portland has not proven that. But let's save that talk for tomorrow. Let's talk merely about tonight. I am uh, sitting, tuning in. I'll get the Dirk shirt on. I will have, uh, you know, I'm palms out. But if you think for a second that I'm taking a Game 6 victory to the bank on what we've seen, I think you would either have to uh, utilize blind faith or uh, just a complete, well, complete lack I of memory. I think now, well, that's okay. I think saying blind faith is a bit reducing it. I don't mean to. I'm simply saying... I think lack the... of memory, you might say, but this isn't those teams. The addition of Tyson Chandler is a huge difference from those teams, and 
just what's happened in this series against this team so far. I th- I That's think, what I'm basically going on. Th- and what you kept mentioning throughout that series was they've basically outplayed this team for all but one game in one quarter. Which like through, was through, the big meltdown quarter? Yeah, right. Through, so game three and then the end of game four. Uh, one quarter in game four. But, I mean, they were you know, pretty dominant other than that. I mean, not, not like blowing them out, but they were – clearly the better team i mean portland was just dog s on the offense for most of this series other than the two games where brandon roy went nuts late and he had not you said he'd been injured right right since so coming back he had only you know the last those were games, almost anomalies massive anomalies he was averaging eight points a game after coming back from his injury coming off the bench yeah he had nothing left in the tank other than those two quarters where he came back uh in portland and played really well um, and so here's Dan with the uh, calling a shot. But I think that fourth quarter woke them up. I think it shook them to say, come on, stupid. What are you doing here? You're playing with this team. You wow. should have just put your foot on their neck. So the next game, when they went out and built up a nice lead, they did. And I think they're going to do that again. <laughs> and we all know how it turned out. Uh, obviously, they won game six. Uh, and we'll play some audio from that in, uh, here in a second. Um, they game, won by seven. I see, right? Yeah, one hundred three ninety six. But to your point about game four and losing that huge lead in the fourth quarter, that being a turning point, the Mavericks went fourteen and three after that. Like the only other three losses they have are one in the Western Conference Finals to the Thunder and the two against Miami, and a lot of those were like actual ass beatings for playoff basketball. So I'd never really thought of it that way. You know, I just think of, oh, God, the Mavericks barely advanced because they screwed around with Portland. But to your point, that might have actually been a very underrated turning point in that series um, on the road against a team that they should have probably beaten five, to be honest with you, blowing that lead, doing the most Mavericks thing we expected them to do in game four, in a sense, was kind of the turning point of the series. Yeah, and it's, you know, obviously looking back, it looks like it for sure. And at the time, thought it could be. Like, you know, you wonder how much of that memory stuff is more a fan thing than a current team that's put together thing. And Dirk was a part of that Miami meltdown the 2006, but how many other guys on that team were? Jet and who else? But a lot of guys, you know, they had no... That wasn't part of their chemistry. That wasn't part of Carlisle's makeup. All the fans thought that, and we thought that, and we felt this is carryover and just... And it's probably a big deal that Dirk was, because Dirk, Dirk was a guy who was on the scene for all of that. And that, you know, we we give him all the uh, debit or whatever you say. Criticism. The blame, yeah, yeah. If, if they fail. And, you know, he deserves a lot of the – or all of the credit, right, for overcoming that. You just don't know how these big-time athletes are. And I, I just can't think that, you know, the – if the majority of your team, 90% of your team, wasn't around for all of that stuff, why does that really matter? 
But it, it feels like it does, and I think it feels like it does more when it's a collective fan base. We all were thinking it. It wasn't even the same coaching staff either. Right. right. Carlisle wasn't there. Right, but I do I do still think if your two arguably most important players in Dirk and Jet were both there, and then everything that happened in the intervening years, I mean, you could see it on Dirk's face, man, throughout that in that five-year period from – from final to final. I mean, I, I I see what you're saying. But also... It, and I'm not a big fan of the subjective. That was a real thing. But after... Now we can look back and say, obviously, he nutted up. He dug deep and said, that's not who I am. Because he was amazing throughout this whole playoffs. And he had 33 in game six. So coming up next, why don't we walk through how Dallas was actually able to put Portland away. We have more audio from the game. We have audio from Dirk after the game. And we have audio of uh, Bad Radio the day after acknowledging Dan's uh, sports prognostication and Donovan's next on the ticket. On bad radio. Dan, Jake, coming up here in about 15 minutes, we have some Friday follow-up on celebrities that met their husbands or wives whenever they were teenagers and whether or not most teachers make a million dollars a year. But right now we're continuing to walk through the 2011 Mavericks finals run, starting with round one, Portland. Very underrated series for drama and turning points as uh, as we've discussed I don't remember anything about this yeah all week I really don't either I mean I remember game four you know I remember the meltdown I remember exactly where I was uh, I remember I think it was a Sunday Sunday afternoon yeah because I was about to go to a Rangers game in fact with a group of people and we were sitting there we were about to leave thinking the game was over and then things started to happen with about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter and it's like oh okay this is really going to happen. And then it did with Brandon Roy just splashing them in the fourth quarter. Um, but that's really the only vivid memory I have of this series. But in, what, in going back and watching it, there are a couple other points in here that, uh, that's, that should probably stick out in our minds a little bit more. So in the last segment, we played audio of Bad Radio from back April 2011. Bob, very suspect of the Mavericks' ability to go get a road win because they had only won two road playoff games since 2006. Uh, Dan and Donovan saying, this year is different. Tyson, defense, mentality, it's Dirk's time. So let's go to the game itself. Uh, Mavs trailed at the end of the first quarter 27-19. to But as we were talking about in the break a little bit there, maybe that was off the air, it's all running together now, there's a foul that uh, Chris Johnson, Fouls Dirk at the it's the eight thirty nine mark twenty five thirty three. There's a Blazers miss and Dirk is going to go get the rebound underneath the basket. Chris Johnson comes from the baseline. Like he had been on the wing maybe and came around. So Dirk is the only Maverick player standing there. It's obvious obviously his rebound and Chris Johnson. It's extremely dirty. I'm surprised I didn't remember this more, but I did upon seeing it again. He grabs Dirk's face and kind of clotheslines him to the ground. I mean, it is a straight-up, not just like a hard playoff foul. It's nasty. And you said you had that noted? Yeah. Um, 
I have it noted for a couple things. One, it says McHale is an idiot for saying this, so I don't know what he said. Uh, and I had it because I have my notebooks from those from that era. Uh, and I just noted that they went on a twenty-seven ten run after that after that uh, big foul. Let me see. I think I have you playing the audio here. I wasn't going to play this, but we got time. So the McHale thing. Yeah. Let's see. Kevin McHale was on the national broadcast, and I think... Dude, I got way too much Kevin McHale going back through this six-game series. Like, the one game with Skin, Followell, and Harp, and Doris were... It's my saving grace here, because he's awful at this job. Well, he's not still doing it right, so there must be a reason. Yeah. So here's that. You talking about... uh, Fast forward here. Here's TNT's broadcast right when they come back from break. Are we cool, Tony? Play this? Chris Johnson called for a flagrant foul one. And then with the right hand to the face. (laughs) Yeah, he got him a little bit, but Dirk sold that too. Come on, first of all, I'm not sure what what, what they give out in Germany. We give Oscars here, but whatever they give, he got got a little bit of a rip, but it's not that bad. He went down like he was Polak. needs to talk to you about how to get away with those kind of... First of all, Chris Johnson weighs 200 and maybe 5 pounds soaking wet. I mean, but that was across the face. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Really? I, Come on, Mikhail. Dude, you, I almost need to play this for you so you can see how... I mean, he grabs him by the face and throws him to the ground while Dirk is opened up trying to get a rebound. It's the most obvious. So he's off balance. All Dude, that. They were just so it doesn't matter to... what he weighs. Right. It doesn't matter. No, they were just trying to punk Dirk. So they were That's down. That's all it was. Yeah. At that time, they were down how much? 33-25, I want to say, before Dirk went to the line for his uh, flagrant foul shots. Because I saw early they had a 15-2 run, Portland. Yeah. Like, they started out huge. Yeah, they were up 27-19 at the end of the first quarter. And... Which is, what you know, if you're a visiting team going into a right. desperate team's barn, you're like, got to weather that initial storm. Well, apparently they didn't. Right. But they clawed back. You know, it's the NBA. They did, and it's interesting and, and, you bring that up. And that very moment, though, is when they really started coming back hard. Yeah, they had a really strong second quarter. Out, uh, doubled Portland up, 33-16. And this is, I, th- <laughs> I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, this is, so, well, I'll just play this for you. This is on how they got back in the game. You talk about how you get upset when they shoot three-pointers too much and stuff. That's what got them back in the game and got them the lead early on, right? Peja hitting one, Barea Terry hitting one. It's great. It's Yep. Yep, they hit three of their six made three-pointers in but the how second quarter to get back into the game. The first thing I said there is, you know. You hate when they. We, we talk about they shoot threes too much. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they aver- is it a different era? Yeah, I think uh, they averaged 41 and a half in 2020. Uh, they took 18 in that game. <laughs> You're not going to like the modern NBA 2011 yeah, Dan. <laughs> 2011 Dan is like, ah, you know, I mean, I guess sometimes you just got to live with it. They're going to take, they're just going to chuck all these threes, you know, all 18. six of them. <laughs> they made six, and you're like, well, I guess that fueled the run. <laughs> Three in the second quarter. Can't believe it. Is that a record? <laughs> it's just, this is, uh, these guys are playing a different brand of basketball. Uh, I also have written down, so if you say Berea was going a little nuts, one of my notes was that Berea is the preacher's son in Hoosiers. Like, uh, if you remember when that guy went in, 
after praying, he just started hitting every shot from everywhere. So I, I, I don't know if you can confirm that Berea really helped him get back in that game in the second. Uh, he hit a three in the second, but he only had seven on the night, but he did score five of them in a pretty important part of the fourth quarter. Oh, okay. So, yeah, the Mavericks used that run after Chris Johnson uh, clotheslines Dirk, gets the flagrant. It's tied 35 midway through the second quarter. Mavs go on a run. They close out um, with a 52-43 lead headed into halftime of game six trying Which, to close this out. I have noted it was a 30-10 run at that point. Yep. Yep. So now they got a big lead, and they're just going to take that home or what? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I think up until the, the pretty much the minute they won the finals, maybe it started with the Miami series, but I kind of remember everybody at every single juncture of this thinking, here's where they blow it. You know, after game four especially, thinking, okay, it doesn't matter, 52-43, doesn't matter. Uh, third quarter, they keep their foot on the gas. They get up by 17. They end up going to the fourth, 75-62. But still, is it about to be here we go again? And uh, at 75-62, uh, I wanted to play you this of Bob from the next day. But it's 86-83. Okay, you take it. Okay, yeah. So at 75-62, uh, Portland goes on a huge run. Huge run. Get it Gets it right back there, as Bob's uh, talking about here, to a three-point game midway through the fourth. But it's 86-83. You take a timeout. You get out of the timeout. You have a play call for Dirk where you go inside, and then he's going to kick it out for an open three. Gerald Wallace is sitting on that play like uh, the corner waiting to jump the out route and looking for the pick six. Gerald Wallace jumps it, goes in for the dunk, 86-85. Five minutes and something to go. You've given up a 17-point lead in about eight minutes. That's amazingly impressive. Then. Give up that many points in that short amount of time. They were doing it again. It was right. They were basically just copying the same script from Game Four in Portland. Game Six in Portland. They've blown a 17-point lead. Portland hit them with a uh, just a furious run there. And as he Bob said, that play right there uh, that since uh, that ended in a Gerald Wallace dunk. It's 86-85 Dallas with 5:24 to play. I wish we almost had some sort of a, a meter, uh, not a fake one like you see on television, but like I wish you could have like panelists like you see in media focus groups to just gauge how people in Dallas are feeling at that moment because Dallas cannot buy a bucket right here, and you have to be figuring, we're blowing it again, we're headed back to Dallas, we're about to get bounced in the first round again with basically every single made Blazers uh, bucket. Yeah. Momentum. I guess you can't stop momentum. They probably went on to win then. Portland won, right? Well, actually, uh, from then on, Dallas opened it up, and at uh, after a a couple uh, two jumpers from uh, Jet and uh, a little hook shot from Sean Marion, it's ninety five eighty nine, and uh, it's thirty seconds left, and Portland starts playing the foul game, and Dirk gets eight free throws in thirty seconds and hits all of them, and the game's over. I mean, they basically just, right at that moment when it got to one point, they clamped down and, you know, only gave up four more points over the next four and a half minutes of the game. And that's the thing. They really got after it defensively in the fourth, in the back half of the fourth quarter. Um, I think Dirk had a block. Uh, I think that might have been the only stat that, that registered block-wise. But still, they, they, they locked it down whenever Portland had their comeback. They said to themselves or whatever, collectively, it stops right here, and it did. 
and Dirk ended up with 14 of his 33 in the fourth quarter. And uh, let's go to Dirk after the game before we get back to bad radio. An impressive night, as you mentioned, Matt, for Dirk Nowitzki. How do, when they cut it to one, how do you not think, oh, no, here we go again? Well, we talked about this was our night, and uh, we didn't get rattled, I thought. Uh, there was some tough uh, tough stuff going on, but uh, we kept them. He's definitely re- referencing Chris Johnson there. Yeah, okay. Close line. There's some tough stuff going on. Uh, there was some tough uh, tough stuff going on, but uh, we kept on plugging, kept on fighting. Uh, I thought our defense let us down again in the fourth. Started trading baskets a little bit, but, uh, man, we had some big guys stepping up. Uh, Jason Kidd, three, was obviously a big shot. We were up one, uh, and guys just kept making plays. You finally went on the road. You finally get out of the first round. Did you prove something to yourself or more to the league? Well, we started the season saying championships are our goal, so uh, to do that, you got to get out of the first round. Um, it was, it was, yeah, it was a, a solid effort. We, we couldn't uh, win a road game last year, uh, so this year we finally got one and uh, we're moving on. You and I were talking about the West the other day. You feel like it's more wide open. Why? Well, you know, uh, nobody's really playing unbelievable basketball right now. Uh, everything's wide open. Uh, we got to make sure we, we play solid defense. Uh, Lakers, obviously, a very, very good team. They're the favorites. They're the, the, the champions. And uh, we're just trying to uh, go out there and have some fun. All right, and now they hope they get a couple of days rest as they head to round two, Matt. Sounds pretty chill, man. Yeah, but <laughs> and just to hear him now, you know, saying championships are goal. Yeah, I, I, it, you know, not a one one game at a time thing, right? It's it's this is all we care about type thing. Um, he mentioned Kid and his big three. As I recall, too, I don't know if it was right at the beginning of this series or something, but I had a note written down about this that made me remember. He was shooting it differently, like yeah, a V, or he had. I remember going out on the court myself and trying to. Put my fingers in. He he might have explained this to somebody, but he had a different grip on the ball. And ever since he started that new grip, he was he was nailing them. It was uh, it was Dirk's grip, like that. They kept calling it the V. Yeah, like the, and they would highlight the way that he was holding the ball and he was getting more arc as opposed to more of a line drive shot. And uh, that three that he hit, the Dirk referenced there, that was at eighty six, eighty five, right after uh, the Wallace dunk. Where we played the audio of Bob discussing. That's when he hit that, and that really was kind of the end of Portland's run. Uh, they did go back and forth, you know, at a four-point game there for a minute or so. But yeah, they were highlighting several times the the Jason Kidd uh, V shot, if you will. Also, you mentioned Dirk just had a ton of free throws at the end. I had noted they didn't even have a free throw in the fourth quarter till like two and a half minutes left. But then the thought of Dirk, one of the great things about Dirk. That certainly was is different about some great players. Uh, Hack a shack comes to mind, where you your best player on the floor turns into somewhat of a liability at the end of games, and that's when you need guys to be great is at the end of games. And you know you could never dream of that with Dirk because he was like one of the best, if not the best, in the entire NBA. Right? Oh yeah, ninety some percent or for so. several years. And and, and so, again to go back to game one, and he's your biggest guy too. So right, you know, just get him the ball, hack him, fine. And during that season, Dirk had made seventy two straight free throws at one point. Jeez, man, that's insane for a seven footer. But as we were talking about before, in game one, he went thirteen of thirteen in the fourth quarter at the line. Just at the line. And had no other free throws before that. So it's not like, you know, he's he's there all night. All in the fourth quarter, he's 
13 of 13. But and, crunch time, and you puts get him that the game ball. away. Yeah. Incredible. And uh, speaking of that, I thought you would enjoy you guys talking about uh, Dirk kind of getting into beast mode. I think he's as good as he's ever been. And you know what? That's crazy. But I think he's so good right now and so relentless and so welcome to challenges. I I, I really like his game right now. I think this is the first time in a long time, Bob, I've seen that swag on him when he made that shot and he went back down the court. You just knew he was feeling it. Oh, he's just yelling. He's yelling at guys. I love that he's yelling at the crowd and he's yelling at his opponents. He was in the zone. He, You know, again, you I think everyone says this. If I could go back to age 20 with what I know now, if Dirk could figure out this mentality he's found in 2011, and maybe it's getting Tyson next to him that gives him beer muscles, I don't know. But whatever the case is, his mentality now, they don't lose that Golden State series. They just don't lose that series. There's no way. And even though he won the MVP that year, his mentality back then was he, you know, he was on a team and the leader of a team that allowed Gold State to punk him. And they just did. Like, do you and, feel but, he but, would allow that now? But maybe you know? maybe he's only here now because he because was there then. Yeah. I don't know. He's going to need every bit of that in this next series also, boy, and a little more. I mean, yeah, but he seems ready. Pretty right. good drop there. Yeah. Yeah. If we want that, but it is cool yeah. because and it's just not. In no way am I. Is this a, a take a shot at Bob type thing? But the before game six, he's like, "This is the same old Mavs." You know, how can you? And I, I think one game, a huge game like that, totally valid to change your opinion. But before game six, uh, the dude who wrote the book <laughs> was saying, "I just don't see how this team is any different. Like they're they're just they're they're weak minded. They're battling ghosts." And then Dirk comes through with. 33 in a road win and beats back in advance in the fourth quarter from Portland. And the next day, we're all convinced, rightly so, he's a killer now. Well, because you noted the game four meltdown. So they had a huge lead in the fourth quarter. They gave it up and they lost. Well, this game, they had a huge lead in the fourth quarter. They gave it up and then they stemmed that tide and, and said, no, nah, we're the better team. And that that was... That's why you look back at the game four and say maybe that was a turning point where it, you know. Because it came up again. Popovich sometimes says a nice loss is sometimes good, you know, a blowout loss even. It wakes you up to you're not that great and you have to, and and possibly that's what that did. But, yeah, Dirk, I agree with all those things that were said there. Just everything he had been through in the past had created this guy who now wasn't going to be denied. It's a mythological story, man. <laughs> it, it may, it's, it's better. It's, it's better. The fact that they didn't win in 2006 makes this better. Yep. It makes his story better. It makes it sweeter. Uh, and we'll continue this next week with the Lakers series. You know how I told you that I have that tweet or that uh, image of the four ESPN experts, uh, including Adrian Wojnarowski, who picked uh, Ma- uh, Blazers in four, and only one of the four picked the Mavs to win the series at all? No one picks Dallas from here on out. <laughs> like it is a straight sweep for uh, for the Lakers uh, series. So uh, we'll see if that happened and Ironic, which way right? that sweep went. Well, P ones, thank you for listening to this episode of the Bad Radio Podcast Special, talking about the 2011 Mavericks playoff run to the championship. Next week, we will discuss the Mavericks sweeping the LA Lakers. Until then, see you.